This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time. Time for Silver and Black today. To the ground game. Touchdown Las Vegas. We're breaking down the latest Raider news from on and off the field. And bringing you conversations with newsmakers and record breakers. So hold on, Raider Nation. It's time to get get it it on. Here's your host, Scott Goldbranson and Mo Moulton. It is Tuesday, Raider Nation. Welcome back to Silver and Black Today, an Odyssey original podcast. We're here to talk about the Vikings game, the Raiders 26-20 to winners over Minnesota at Allegiant Stadium. And uh, as always, to talk about it, it's me, my partner, Mo Moten. He is a national NFL writer for Bleacher Report, also the Raiders columnist for SportsNot.com, and he is a uh, food take aficionado. As we bring on Mo, Mo. Now we've had some time to rewatch the game. Are you ready to get into this and talk a little bit more about what we saw, what concerned us, and what we thought went really well? Yeah, I'm ready. I hope Raider Nation's ready. Uh, as we know, some people <laughs> don't like to hear the negatives. But shout out to everybody who read the piece up on Sports Night that I put out this morning, uh, and and just was like, hey, I'm glad you you were able to point out the positives and the negatives because there are there are a lot of both coming from yesterday's game. Yeah, and, and as as we as we talked about on the post game show Sunday night with Murph, uh, you know, it just felt a little different. But I, I to me, it didn't feel as good like watching it. But at the same time, that's what these games are for. And Josh McDaniels during his press conference, which we'll hear his his post game press conference, and then I was on uh, on Monday morning uh, for his 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 uh, game day, or excuse me, his Monday press conference. With the media, and he had pretty much the same things to say, nothing there. But we'll show you some of that and play you some of that audio so you can hear what he had to say. But that's what this is for. I think, Mo, that's the thing. You know how fans, fans get passionate about their team, and I get it. Uh, and we all dissect this to the end of the earth. But preseason games are to evaluate talent number one and to practice your scheme, limited scheme, because you're not going to show too much to the opposing teams because they get the film as well. So this is what this is about. So I think people need to temper some of their concerns. There are concerns, but we shouldn't go overboard with them. Yeah, and and Josh McDaniel said it, I believe, on Monday, or was it Sunday after the game? He said, you know, the Vikings did some things that, you know, there's some other things that the Jaguars didn't show them. So as new teams show you different looks, you're going to have to adjust. So, of course, you're going to have to go back to the drum boy and tweak and fix certain things. So that's expected during the preseason. This is Again, this is where you work out the bugs and kinks in your football team. 
Yeah, that no doubt about it. All right, so let's dive in, Mo. In rewatching the game uh, on um, on Sunday night, uh, I did right afterwards, and and looking at that, uh, to me, it was. Um, I think a mixed reaction. I saw the start of the game started really nicely for the Raiders defense, uh, including Malcolm Coons, who I thought was one of the stars of the game uh, and really did well and and and, and kind of, in, in I can't say locked up, but certainly put himself in a nice lead for that third edge spot. Uh, do you agree with that assessment? And what about, what was it about his game that we continue to see improve week by week? Very aggressive at the line of scrimmage, very active at the line of scrimmage, and I think that's what the Raiders need in a, in a third edge rusher. That guy is usually going to be your designated pass rusher behind your top two guys, which in this case is Max Crosby and Chandler Jones. But I think you're right. At first, I wondered whether the Raiders would bring in another veteran edge rusher, and they still might just for the depth purposes. You can never have enough edge rushers. But I think Kuntz has done enough that you could feel confident in him being that third edge guy behind Crosby and Chandler yeah. Jones. Yeah, no doubt about it. And uh, one guy they will not be going back to is Carl Nassib, of course, who on Monday signed with his old, old team, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So if the Raiders look for interior help and help across that line, it won't be coming from that familiar name. Uh, so we can cross him out. I know we saw I saw some uh, questions about Darius Phylon uh, on on your timeline. A couple people uh, DM me about him and some others. Um, when you look at uh, that defensive interior, which had struggles, again, uh, not only in the pass rush, but against the run. In fact, we'll talk about that in a second. The entire Raiders defense had some trouble containing the run with Miami, as you mentioned. Um, when you look at that and who's on the street there, any, anybody come to mind for you as, a, as, a, as kind of a, a stopgap in that middle uh, and perhaps some folks, I know we're getting up on cuts here. We had cuts on Tuesday, uh, and so we'll see if there's some roster movement there. But any guys that you're considering that might be a nice fit for this defense in Patrick Graham? Yeah, I haven't done any deep digging on the free agent pool other than the name that I mentioned in my Sports Not Peace and Dominican Sue, because that's what a lot yeah. of Raider fans are familiar with, and that was the big name uh, even before training camp because of Sue's comments on Twitter. Some people don't want to hear about Sue because they believe he's using the Raiders for leverage. Uh, I don't know what Sue's motives are, but I do know that he could still play good football and yeah. you could still get him on the field for 60% of the snaps and he could still be effective on run and passing downs. I estimated, I didn't, this is not a report. I, this doesn't come from Sue's agent or Indomitian Sue, <laughs> but I estimate that he would cost between seven and eight million simply because his last three one-year deals with the Tampa Buccaneers were between eight and 9.25 million. So I would guess that he's not going to back too far off of that number, even mm -hmm. at his age. I believe he's uh, 34, 35 years old. Um, he's probably going to cost between seven and 8 million for the race. If they want him, the good news is the Rays have enough cash to absorb his contract demands. If that is his number and still have room to sign other guys if they need to. Yeah. And that's my question for them, because if, if they look at it to me, as of today, as we're talking on our Tuesday edition here, uh, that as that twenty-one million dollar cap, if you if you were to let's say theoretically give eight million to Sue, if that's what it requires to get in, because you feel that way, you still need to go get that uh, offensive lineman. I believe I don't think there's any way around that, and so suddenly that money's going to go pretty quick if the names are um, like an Adamic and Sue, but on the offensive side of that, we don't know. 
who they might be looking at. We don't know who will be cut later on as well. Some guys hit the street. And some folks said to me the other day, they said, well, if someone else cut them, why would we want them? Well, some guys become cap hits. Some guys become uh, uh, edged out because of their age. They're still very good and better than what the Raiders have currently on the offensive line. But you think they can address both of those but then what if they find a need? I mean, they went out and saw in the defensive backfield or at linebacker, for example, because you just don't know what's going to happen, knock on wood, with injuries. Um, but how close can the Raiders come, Mo, to spending all that cash that they have in their wallet right now? I believe if they spend, you know, about $12 million, they're still fine, and they will still be left over about $10 million going into the season. Again, it all depends on what they feel is a need and what, and what positions they need to address uh, before the regular season now you mentioned something about why pick up a guy if he's cut and mm -hmm. what do we say about the Raiders the last few years they're going to have to cut some good players because yes. they just don't simply have enough room the same goes for other teams some teams just cut decent players because they simply don't have the room to keep everyone and sometimes it, it's a numbers game if right. you have a guy making eight million if you have a guy making two million and they can both give you just about the same production on the field you're going to keep a two million dollar guy and let the eight million dollar guy go so just because the guy's available doesn't mean he's worthless to the league. You could still use him as a depth piece wherever you need help. Uh, but I think the Raiders, the tricky part about the Raiders situation is when will their cornerbacks be back? And I mentioned this in the, on the post game yes. show with Murph, uh, Anthony Averett, Rocky Sin, Trayvon Mullen, not back yet. And they may need to address that position. If none of those guys back, or maybe if just one of those guys comes back, they're going to also have to address that position before week one against the Chargers. And that's that's what I'm talking about. That's why I asked you the question right there, too, was because the money can go really fast if you have three significant needs and you have to address them in free agency, which if that scenario you just laid out, and hopefully that doesn't happen and they don't have to do it and those guys all come back. But if you have to, then you suddenly are looking at spending significant amount of money in those three areas. Uh, Mo, I want to know, too, as you watch the game, um, rewatch the game, you know, we talk about and continue to talk about the offensive line and what's happening there. And Josh McDaniel spoke about that at the press conference. I was a little bit surprised by his comments, not because I was expecting to him to say they didn't do well or expecting them to say that they, they did great, but listen to what he said here. I want to get your comments on Josh McDaniels uh, after the game talking about the offensive line. You know, and, and one of the things that keeps showing up that I'm really happy about is that there's no turnovers. Oh. That being said, Excuse I thought me. we, no, I went, just, I, I mean, other clip. than I think we have some depth at tackle, you know, and, and some competition. Um, you know, we've told them since the first day we got here that this was going to be a, a situation where, you know, guys earn their opportunities and they'll determine their role. So, uh, we felt like there's been a lot of healthy competition in practice. Um, and, you know, last week we started a certain group uh, against uh, Jacksonville, and uh, we felt like practice this week, um, you know, pushed that competition even further and wanted to go ahead and give a few other opportunities today. Uh, and I thought we did that, uh, you know, moved some guys in and out inside, started there on the right side. Again, for a young guy, he's really – um, you know, he's, he's done a nice job for himself uh, and earned the opportunity that he had today. So, again, we'll see what the film shows us and tells us. But uh, I think it was, there was, it was some good things to see from all those tackles. Well, there you go, Mo. I, I think there was some good things. We talked about Illuminor and some of the other guys who, who did well. Simpson struggled. But 
what I glommed on to there, and again, Josh McDaniels learned from the master. He's much more talkative and open at this point in his career, re-emerging as a head coach, than Bill Belichick is, right? So he'll talk to you more. He's not saying a lot more, but I was surprised by the word depth there. Now, if you count bodies as depth, <laughs> um, okay, but I, did that did that strike you, or is it just coach speak, he's just trying to deflect? It's that's just semantics because technically speaking, he's not wrong. The Raiders right. have depth exactly. at tackle, other right. than Bodies. Colt Miller. They have, they have Alex Leatherwood. They have Jermaine Illuminar. They have Brandon Parker, who we don't know if he's coming back or not. Whatever, and and then uh, as I said, uh, Thayer Mumford. There you go, Thayer Mumford Jr. Mumford. Yep. So they have four guys who could possibly start at right tackle. So he's not wrong when he says they have depth. The problem is. Do they have a starting quality player there? And that's what they're trying to figure <laughs> out right now. And I, and someone asked me if I had to bet on one of those guys starting, who would it be? And I said Jermaine Illuminar only because, and I know we're going to get into this, Dan Mumford was okay on Sunday against the Vikings, but he didn't do anything to make me think, okay, the Raiders definitely have their, their starting right tackle right there. Yeah. That same goes for Alex Otherwood and his two performances. And Brandon Park, as I just mentioned, is still out, not practicing. So I think if it comes down to it and they have to pick a guy to start there, I, th I think it might be Jermaine Illuminar. Yeah, at this point, he's been the most consistent, right? I mean, I haven't seen anybody play more consistent than Illuminar at that position. Uh, and and so to me, that's that's why I glommed onto the word because, yeah, <laughs> bodies, meaning you have a bunch of right tackle or a bunch of tackles, yes. But to your point about quality and start, and, and again, they have a few weeks to address it. So it's not it's not an emergency push the button type of thing. But for each week you go by and we'll see how their practice goes this week. Maybe maybe somebody steps up and we see that against Miami on Sunday. But if they go through this Miami game and you see much of the same and they don't sign anybody before that, then I would be a little more concerned. But that was sort of, uh, I think, the, 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 the point that I saw and heard with McDaniels after the game. The other thing we talked about in the postgame, Mo, was around this team, the lack of pre-snap penalties that's killed them over the past couple of years, and the lack of turnovers. Now, McDaniels was asked a question about quarterbacks, but he addressed this issue, and that's what I wanted to play. I mistakenly played it first, but I'm going to play the whole clip now for everybody. You know, and, and one of the things that keeps showing up that I'm really happy about is that there's no turnovers. You know, and, and before we can win, we have to learn how to not lose. And, you know, all the quarterbacks went in there and generally took care of the ball, uh, made good decisions. Sometimes the best decisions are the ones uh, that nobody can tell on, you know, in the stadium right away that it was a good choice. But, you know, throwing the ball away or sometimes taking a sack, you know. And um, I thought both of those guys did a good job of moving us, scoring points and uh, finishing some drives and, and taking care of the ball at the same time. Well, there you go, Mo. I mean, yes, for the quarterbacks, no question. The two backup quarterbacks, Mullen, actually three with Garbers coming in at the end of the game there for some slop time. Um, no turnovers there. No fumbles lost. There was a fumble, but it wasn't lost. And, and I love what he said there about learning not to lose because the Raiders over the last few seasons, I think, were in situations where they could not put a game away and they could not overcome that refreshing and I think a big nugget again it goes back to what we talked about with focus determination and what how this culture has changed under this head coach yeah he just said it no turnovers in two games I believe 10 penalties 
uh, six in the first game, four on Sunday against the Vikings. So, again, when he's preaching on the practice field to these players about details, focus is translating to the field. Um, I did mention in the post game with Murph that it was kind of disappointing to see Amik Robinson get the first penalty and make a mental error before that biting on play action. And I said on Twitter Monday that when it comes down to bringing the roster down to 53 players and making tough decisions between one guy and another, I think he's his he and his coaching staff are going to focus on guys who made the least mental errors because we don't need anybody on this team that's going to lead us to beat ourselves not not learning not to lose football games. So I think those guys who make those mental errors, like Amik Robinson or anybody else, they're going to be in the crosshairs of being cut uh, late this summer. Yeah, you don't. You want to stick out. You want to stick out from the positive, meaning you do your role. It doesn't mean that you don't sometimes get beat, but you want to limit any errors, right? And I think that's where Amik Robertson, and he still looks to me, Mo, I, he still looks – from body language, and again, we talked about this with Murph uh, on Sunday night, too, with body language. He just looked a little, he looks like he's still lacking confidence, and I think that's where you make mistakes, and that's where you blow coverage because you're not sure of your assignment, and it, it's too bad that his stock is kind of uh, falling, which you know you talked about in your Sports Knot piece. When you look at that, what you've seen from some of that defensive backfield, we haven't seen all the guys you mentioned with uh, Rocky Sin and with Mull and all these other guys that are out there. Um, when you look at who who has surprised you, who's kind of made, who might be beating out an Amik Robertson at this point, somebody to watch for the fans out there. Yeah, quick note on Amik, by the way, Josh McDaniels yeah. on Monday did say that he moved Amik in different spots. So you remember sure. reading that by language, that may be part of it. But that's not an excuse because because he's a backup defensive back, he's going to be asked to move around the secondary. And if he can't fulfill that role, uh, they might move on from him. But to answer your question, Sam Webb is the guy that's caught my eye uh, last last game on Sunday. I think Sam Webb actually has a chance as an undrafted free agent out of Missouri West Western State to get on the roster. If the Raiders don't have Anthony Averett, Rocky Asin, Trayvon Mullen back, before week one, if they do indeed move on from Meek Robinson, that opens up a spot for a guy like Sam Webb to make the roster. Uh, he had one of the two pass breakups for the Raiders defense on Sunday. Jayon Brown had the other one. Of course, Sam Webb probably could have picked that off. You saw his reaction and the ball bounced mm -hmm. off his hands. He felt he probably felt like he could have held on to that one. If he did, it would have been great for him. But I think he did well for himself among this among the Raiders defensive backs in, in that game. And I think he put himself on the radar as a, as a guy that might keep. Uh, late August. No question. Uh, good stuff. And before we go to the break, I want to revisit. I'm going to go back to the offensive line because as I rewatched the game, I really focused in on Dylan Parham. And I thought overall, yes, he had some mistakes. We know about the sack. But overall, I think he did really well moving around in there. And, and yes, he's not a starting center. There's no question about that. But they do need to have depth there if something were to happen to Andre James. Evaluate his overall performance. I give him a solid B. I really do. I thought he did well. Yeah, as you said, minus the sack, I, I gave him pretty much a solid B. So you mean to tell me, Scott, that sack isn't everything? He didn't he didn't get a feeling <laughs> grade just because of that one play that everyone's well, hanging on to? Well, and the thing about it was on the broadcast, Matt Millen did a great job describing what happened. And as a young player in that position, he went to help his teammate and they brought the player around. And so it was just recognizing the defense and understanding what was happening. And that comes with experience. He hadn't seen it before. He's out there playing center for the first time this season. 
And so to me, no. I mean, look, it's going to happen. And and the Raiders have given up nine sacks in two games. It's not it's not good. Uh, but if you look at that one in particular, it wasn't like he was just beat. And I think that is a big difference for me. It's a it's a what would you call it a tape, a tape teaching moment. Exactly. Uh, you can look at that and, and say, look, this is what happened on the play. This is how you would defend against that next time you see that happen. Yeah. So I think next time he sees that, he'll be able to to handle his duty and block for his quarterback. He'll be fine. He will. Mo, before we go to the break, anything else, any other observations that hit you the second time around watching the game that we didn't talk about on the postgame? Um, I hate to be that guy that's to mention Darian Butler for the 55th time, but <laughs> <laughs> Darian Butler, even though Pro Football Focus doesn't like Darian Butler's performances, I, I took a look at that. Um, he did miss a tackle. But uh, I think overall, I think him, again, being just being active out there and just having his head on a lot of plays is good for him as a special team because that's what you want. I know we're going to probably talk about special teams later in the show, and I think yep. that him being on that, on that core unit could help that group. Yep, we are going to talk about special teams uh, in the third segment <clears throat> as well, kind of our round robin as we usually do, including we didn't talk in this segment about wide receivers much. We'll get to that. And then also kind of the best of the rest. So we'll do that. All right, we're going to take a break right now. When we come back, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about Darren Waller because suddenly everybody wants to talk about Darren Waller. Everybody's got a take on Darren Waller and why he wasn't at the game and so on and so forth. We also have a clip from Bussin' with the Boys with Will Compton, former Raider, and uh, his comments from Darren Waller on red zone offense the last couple years so we'll get to that in a few minutes all right we'll be back right after this you're listening to silver and black today here on odyssey's original podcast network don't go anywhere hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting go to your happy place for a happy price go to your happy price priceline all-star closer kenley jansen we have a question what's the best podcast of all time Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. Silver and Black today. Mo Moten, Scott Colbranson are with you. We are talking Raiders football, recapping the Vikings win, looking at the week ahead, looking at what this team can do to get better and what they need to do to get better. As always, uh, the topic of the show, do us a favor. Make sure you subscribe, whether you're listening to us on audio or you're watching us on YouTube. Hit the subscription button. If you're listening on audio, give us a five-star review. If you're on YouTube watching us, then do me a favor there, subscribe and hit the notifications bell. If you don't hit the notifications bell, you won't get the little ding that tells you we're on the air. So make sure you do that. We will, uh, again, have a show today, a show tomorrow. We're doing another mailbag show. The mail keeps pouring in. So we're going to get to your questions and comments. And then our normal show on Thursday, Sunday, again, post game. We will have another post game show 
uh, as the Raiders take on the Dolphins. And as we do that, Murph uh, from Raiders Fan Radio joins us. We will this time do that live to YouTube and Twitch. So if you're a, if you're a gamer, if you're someone who watches content on Twitch, we will also be on there. All right, Mo. So let's talk about a one, Mister Darren Waller. So Uh-oh. we mentioned this in the pregame. Had a small discussion about it. There is this. And, and and I know I'll make some people angry, but I'm just going to say it. There is an addiction in, with some, not a huge amount, a some percentage of Raider Nation over dysfunction. So with Darren Waller not attending the game, Josh McDaniel said he was excused. It was all good. He knew he was there. Mentioned that it was the owner's team he was going to see um, at the WNBA game, the Aces game across the street at Mandalay Bay. This has created that, that, that outrage culture within Raider Nation again over the fact that he's not, A, a team guy, which, which to me blows my mind because here's a guy who needs a new contract, but he's agreed to just play and, and be quiet and let his agent deal with it. If that's not team first, I don't know what is. And number two, this whole, this whole kind of rumor mill stuff that you're starting to see around with some people on YouTube and some people who, who tweet for a living – they're just making this into a, uh, a mountain out of a molehill. And it concerns me just because I don't know where it's coming from and why it's there except for that addiction. But why tell people again why people should not be worried about Darren Waller, A, not playing right now, and B, being at the Aces game yesterday. Well, Vinny Bunsen, you are tweeted on Sunday that he got the approval of the team to a attend the football game to me that should be the end of the conversation i could see if it was an (laughs) unexcused absence i mean if it was an unexcused absence then i could see where the outrage comes from then i could see oh he's you know he's going awol but he literally reportedly got word from the team got permission from the team to go by his not go by his business but attend the game so i don't i don't see where we have well, to Mo, stir but, up drama where there is none. But here's the thing, Mo. Here's what people say to that. The people who are arguing this, and I'm giving them all the due respect. I'm trying to present their argument without skewing the discussion here. Their point is it doesn't matter if he got permission. He should want to be there to support his team. Everyone else is there. He should be focused on football. What do you say to that? I say to that, if he hadn't been a team guy leading up to that moment, moment then i would say those people have a point mm-hmm. but to this point have you heard anything coming from the team or anything from seen anything from him that would suggest that he's not all in and not a team guy because to me if he wasn't if he was just about me 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 i i i he wouldn't even be attending camp he would be holding out or holding in yes and some people think he is holding in but by, by his what he's doing not a, not you know joining his team and not practicing because there was some stir or some buzz about why is he not practicing is it is, is it a contract issue or is he really hurt because some people are even questioning the validity of his of his hamstring injury and i think it was mm. adam Schefter who tweeted a, a few days ago and said yes his absence is related to his injury yeah and i think i mentioned this on a previous show that some people think he's milking it i i don't get that i mean if you look at it this is an organization i know it was john gruden's idea and greg olson to take him in after he's had past troubles. So I don't I don't think he would do that to an organization that basically gave him a second chance to revive his football career. 
No, and I mean, and and if you listen to, we're going to get to a clip here in a second from from Will Compton's "Bussin' with the Boys," uh, where Waller appeared uh, just right before the anniversary of his sobriety date. Um, you you look at Darren Waller to your point, and he's never done anything like that. And by the way, when you hear older NFL guys who are long retired, uh, especially star players, um, they all sort of say the same thing, which is like. Yeah, you know, when I once I got into my fifth or sixth year, I hated camp. I didn't need camp. Now, if you had if you had some massive change or you had a major injury, you were coming back, which I wouldn't count Darren Waller's as a major injury. I mean, it certainly kept him out for five or six weeks, but it wasn't like a blown knee or anything like that. So, so if you look at that, um, a lot of these guys say, "Hey, I didn't want to do camp, and so if I could stay out of camp because I had a, a hamstring pull or whatever." I'm not saying this is what Darren Waller's doing. But a lot of guys do it, and the coaches don't care because at the end of the day, when the games count is when he needs to be on the field. And so I, I agree. I think fans are getting overly concerned with this over nothing, and I think they need to let it go. There's nothing in this guy's personality in any of his actions. To your point, Mo, you made the perfect point there. If he had done something or if he was talking openly about not being satisfied with the situation with the team because he doesn't have a new contract – then I could understand the skepticism. But right now, no skepticism is warranted. You take him and his coach and his owner at their word. So I think that should be the end of it. All right, but let's talk now about Darren Waller as a weapon because we know how big of a weapon he is and should be inside the red zone specifically. And he was on Bussin' with the Boys with Will Compton, and he had a conversation with him about this, which is telling for not only now and what Josh McDaniels is going to do with this phenomenal player, but what maybe John Gruden and his staff didn't do with him. So let's hear Darren Waller in his own words. We had to, like, chop it a little bit because he used some curse words, and we don't do it on the show. So uh, you'll hear most of it here with a little gap in the middle, but check out Darren Waller on Bussin' with the Boys. A lot of times in the past couple years where I felt like I didn't have, like, it was like a clear, defined attack in the red zone or, like, a plan for me specifically. I felt like it was just kind of like sometimes. Yeah. But now I kind of feel like that's something that's in place with, Josh and developing just off of this offseason alone. So it's kind of asking him about how did your role in the red zone come about? Because that's a that's a that's a big thing. Like yeah, like for me, like there's no reason why I'm my big ass shouldn't be, you know, oh yeah, but I'm dominating in the red zone at yeah. all times, you know? So there you go. Mo, um shocking that there was no set plan because, geez, their red zone was so good last year. Uh, but what do you take away from Darren Waller talking about the past and the present? Yeah, you can kind of chalk this up as him kind of throwing John Gruden under the bus there. But I think that I think that speaks to the confidence John Gruden had in Darren Waller as a physical specimen, as an athletic tight end, pass-catching tight end. And he probably thought, like, look, I could just – plug Darren Waller in, he's going to dominate in the red zone and take over down there. And it's it's like, no, these, these defensive coordinators and defenders are pretty smart. You have to have a plan. Now, he had three touchdowns, I believe, in 2019, nine in 2020, and then two last year. Of course, he had a short year because of injury. But there is something to that because his red zone production isn't what it should be compared to his production between the 20s. So there's some validity to what he said. Uh, it, it just shows that John Gruden trusted him to kind of just win, just beat his guy and get open. And that's just not how it goes in the NFL. No matter how good your pass catcher, no matter how good your offensive playmaker is, you got to have a plan. And now he has that with Josh McDaniels. 
Well, and to me, that also points to what we were just talking about is there's no reason for him wanting to hold out or hold out of practice with an injury that isn't uh, real enough to keep him out because obviously Josh McDaniels has talked to him and told him and shown him the plan for how this team is going to operate in the red zone, and clearly he's excited about it. Yeah, and the other point I want to make about that is you don't think Darren Wallace talked about you know going to the game the WME game with his teammates and his teammates probably saying oh man just go to the game don't worry about it. this is all good don't worry about what the media don't worry about what the fans have to say go enjoy yourself you're not going to play anyway you're recovering off of an injury you know go out and enjoy yourself and I, and I just want to tie that to a point that I hear a lot of coaches say this that a lot of times players have other things going on in their lives and coaches will excuse them and sure. say look Football, you know, life is bigger than football. Of course, football is the main thing. We want guys all in. But when, when you know, if you want to have a little bit of fun, you want to, you know, tend to things in your in your personal life, go do it. But by the time the regular season comes in, we got to lock in. Just know when it's time to lock in, you lock in, you're all in 100 110%. And I think that's, that's what's going on here with Darren Waller and the Raiders. Well, and it's sort of, I, I kind of laugh because I know, I can tell you with certainty that there are Raider fans out there who take days off of work, maybe even call in sick to work to go to a game. So, you know, they're, they're doing that. They're using a reason to go do something they want to do, despite the fact that they usually be at work. Uh, and so, so absolutely. And I think that, that that's important, too, because... You know, you're, you're, you're hitting on, too, I think, a generational difference with players, too. This is not the 1970s in the NFL where guys, you know, all were they didn't have lives outside of that. And it was a different type of time. Uh, and so to me, you're right. I mean, having a life outside of football and, and some people will say, well, geez, it's a football season. And it's look, you demand fans demand so much of players. And you know what? I agree to a certain extent. I got in a little spat with a guy about the, the the interview with Carson Wentz, where I thought the reporter, yeah, I might have worded it a little differently, but the reporter gave him some frank realities. And all these player, former players, because we've gotten so soft, all these former players going out there and saying, how disrespectful. Well, no, it wasn't disrespectful. So, so it's amazing how we demand of some so much but then in other situations, we want to coddle and protect people. And I think that's just the difference with fandom in the NFL today because people are able to interact with these guys like Darren Waller. They see his Instagram. They see his videos. They've been along with him on this journey in sobriety. They somehow feel now that he owes them personally something, and that sometimes gets in the way. Yeah, there are two pushbacks. So just to play devil's advocate, people will say, well, Darren Waller, even though he's probably underpaid, He's making millions of dollars, so he's different than the average blue-collar worker who's punching a clock in 40 hours a week and trying to feed his family on 50K a year. Mm -hmm. But I will say that no matter how much money you make, you still have a life. And I think these coaches want to give players kind of a mental break if they need it. And again, some people look at that as, oh, they're coddling Darren Waller. And let's just be honest. Let's just be 100% real here. Darren Waller is one of the best players on the Raiders roster if this is <laughs> Nick Bowers wanting to take off right they're gonna have a problem with that because he has to fight for a roster spot yeah. Darren Waller yeah. is not in a battle for a roster spot again I understand you want him to be there for his teammates just asking for a day off to be across the street to be in the, again the same building as his owner I don't think the team would have a problem with it and he got approval so to me that's in the discussion right there 
Well, and I'll keep his name out of it because he's a fan. He's a great listener of ours, and he's probably going to chuckle that I'm going to mention our our private interaction. But he DM'd me on Twitter about it and was really angry about it. Now, this guy's a big Laker fan, a big LeBron fan. So I let him go. I let him go. And I said, hey, have you ever gone to a Laker game when LeBron just decided not to play, to rest? Yeah, yeah, it happened. So what, man? I said, well, what's the difference? Wait a minute. If you can shut it down as an NBA player like LeBron James, who's one of the greatest players to ever play on a team that he basically runs— why is it not okay for Darren Waller at a preseason game? This is not a game that counts, folks, to do it. So I think when you kind of put it into that perspective, uh, it sort of changes things. Now, a lot of people don't like that about the NBA when they're doing load management. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in this case, again, it's it's preseason game. It doesn't mean anything. So uh, it, when you start to look at it through these lens, and then I didn't hear from him for a couple hours, and then he said, I see your point. So <laughs> we got it, and that's that's really what we wanted to do here, Mo, was just kind of talk he, about that because I don't think it's a big deal. The only beef, there's only one group of people I'll say that should have a beef with Darren Waller not being at the game, and that and that is fans who attended the game and they wanted an autograph from him. That's, now, if you attended the preseason game and wanted an autograph from Darren Waller and he's not there to give you that autograph, then I could see your problem because, as we all know, those preseason games are not cheap. No. So you, no. you're trying to get your money's worth when you attend those games, even though they don't count in the win-loss column. So those are the, if, you, if you wanted an autograph from Darren Waller and you didn't get it because he didn't attend, I, I get you. But everyone else, let's just move on because it's not a legit concern. That's fair. While we talk about that and going to the game and the cost of going to the game, of course— uh, Raider Dad had their gathering, and go to our Twitter handle on Monday morning. We tweeted out the amazing pictures from their event. So shout out to everybody at Raider Dad for getting all those kids to the game. Some great video, some emotional video of kids uh, receiving tickets for the season. I mean, the Raider Nation just gives and gives and gives. So shout out to them and everybody involved with that it was a great great day for them and i know they're going to do it again and we will support them any way we can so you do the same we're going to step aside uh, for one final break when mo and i return we're going to do our best of the rest we're going to talk a little bit about special teams because that's kind of eating at me i know i know special teams but nonetheless we'll get to that we'll hear what (laughs) what coach josh mcdaniels had to say about it as well as talk about the wide receiver competition did Turner make his run at making this roster, and will it stick? We'll have to see. It's only one game, but certainly some great things to talk about there. All right, we'll step aside. When we come back, Silver and Black Today rolls on with Mo and Scott. Stay with us. What up, y'all? It's your boy Danny Green, three-time NBA champ. You either rooted for me or rooted against me. Join myself and my co-host Harrison Sanford on the Inside the Green Room podcast. It's a podcast that brings you never-before-told tales from the locker room to candid interviews with basketball legends to breakdowns of what's happening in the NBA right now. Whether you're a diehard fan or casual about your hoops, this podcast brings you the game like never before. Follow Inside the Green Room on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. We're in the home stretch here on Silver and Black today, an Odyssey original podcast. Mo Moten, Scott Branson with you. Remember, subscribe when you can. Hit that subscription button. Give us a five-star rating if you're listening to us on audio. And remember, you can get the podcast wherever you want. You can also subscribe on YouTube or on Twitch. Twitch, we will do live events on there. And on the YouTube channel, you can always get all of our videos. So thanks for being with us here yet again. And reminder, tomorrow, Mo, we're going to be back tomorrow talking mail again we get to give away some stuff 
you've got mail. Uh, I actually <laughs> enjoy the questions because we yeah. we actually really got some, honestly speaking, we got some really good questions last week. I think, again, shout out to Chris. He hit the nail on the head with the, with the interior defensive line because now yes. that's the big talk this week about the Raiders' defense and the, specifically their run defense against the Vikings. So shout out to him for nailing that question. What about that? You know, we'll, we'll, yes, absolutely. And again, that'll be on Wednesday. So tune in Wednesday, download Wednesday, watch Wednesday as we uh, get your questions. And everybody who submits a question gets a, a show sticker that you can proudly slap on your laptop, your water bottle, whatever you decide to put it on. Uh, and then we will pick one winner. Uh, and and Chris was the guy last week to get a T-shirt, a show T-shirt, a silver and black today t-shirt so uh, we certainly appreciate that all right mo let's go let's go where you just went because this is the this is the kind of free range round we're a bunch of chickens walking around mm -hmm. pecking looking for stuff to talk about <laughs> um when you when you talk about that defensive interior but we talk about the run defense uh yes up front clearly some issues there but i also saw containment too on the outside once they got past uh, the offensive line, meaning the linebacker core, and then, of course, the defensive backfield. What else did you see in re-watching the game? I saw some some troubles there with linebackers playing a little bit out of position, not recognizing what was coming. Again, it's a practice game, and it's a, it's a teachable moment, as you mentioned earlier, when these guys look at the film, uh, including with Darian Butler, right, who was playing in the, some of those spots. But what did you see overall? What other concerns? What other things did you see that gave you some some encouragement as well? Uh, one thing that I saw and that some of my Twitter supporters pointed out, got to wrap up when you tackle. Mm. Uh, I hate to call out guys, but I believe Darius Phillips had two missed tackles. He did. I remember one specifically where he bounced off a guy. Got to wrap up those tackles because the last few years, even, even under Gus Bradley when the defense improved, tackling seemed to be an issue here and there with guys not wrapping up, guys whiffing, uh, bad, taking bad angles and whiffing. So... I don't want to see that problem come up again. Uh, they have to tighten up on the tackling technique. Uh, I think that will happen. Josh McDaniels, very up on details. So, you know, he's going to be running back the film and saying, you got to wrap it up. Um, on the back end, I know I mentioned Sam Webb in the, in the first segment. Mm -hmm. I thought there were times where the secondary held up pretty well as a unit. Uh, there were times where the Vikings quarterback just had nowhere to go with the football. I believe it was Kellen Mung was out there. Even though he led two touchdown drives, there were times where he just had nowhere to go with the football. And I think that's pretty good when you say your, your pass rush isn't that great, especially on the interior, to have your defensive backs hold for that long, hold, hold on to their, their assignments for that long and not give up a big play. Uh, so those are the two things that stood out to me, negative and positive, just specifically about the defense. Because then we spoke a lot about the offense, and sometimes we may not give enough attention to the to the defense because so many guys are out. But I think there are negative negatives and positives there too. On Monday at the press conference, uh, uh, Josh McDaniels was asked about uh, both Bilal Nichols and Jonathan Hankins, and he was noncommittal about their return. wasn't sure. Kind of, you know, just gave uh, the standard answer of they're trying to get better. We're going to have we'll have more news on them, so on and so forth. Um, we, again, with that pup list, right? You if you you have to be off that pup list before the end of the preseason. If not, you miss six games. There's been some people were posting things that it was four games. I've looked in five different sources and found six games. So so it's important over the next couple weeks. For those guys, I would be happy if they got back for that final preseason game and just got some live game action. Be great if it was this week, 
uh, going into the Miami game. But if not, Mo, um, just to get them some live uh, practice for a couple weeks and one game would be, I think, suitable for me. Not to dispute you live on air, Scott, but nope. um, I, I think the rule for? was, I think, yeah, I think the rule was was tweaked recently where it is for if they're not off the pup list by August 23rd. And I didn't have this down. So are you saying I'm either. wrong? <laughs> in the five i must be finding old stuff so thank you Mo. i appreciate that yeah if it, i think they tweaked the recently tweaked the rule if you're not off the pub list by august 23rd which is after the second round of cuts then ah. you have to remain on the pub list for the first four weeks of the season for at least the first four weeks of the right of the regular there season go. so uh there's there's the ticking deadline so there's about a week for for guys like blonde nichols jonathan hankins and trayvon Mon to get back on the field well, there you go. So that changes my perspective too. So thanks. That's why we have Mo around. I mean, he's just he's a, he's an intent researcher. He's going to find it and clear it up. So so the guy I kept tweeting six games at, I was wrong. Um, but but <laughs> so so yeah. So then they got to get back to they got to get back to practice uh, this week or at least going into next week before we hit the twenty third, um, and and that's going to be a big milestone as well as I think those guys on the back end as well. Um, all right, let's go to another point that I saw that we were concerned with and we talked about on Sunday night, which was the special teams. Uh, yes, you know, Josh McDaniels points out that there's there was one, you know, tough kickoff return we didn't contain. Um, but uh, instead of me saying it, let me give you Josh McDaniels talking about special teams concern uh, from the other night against the Vikings. That being said, I thought we we had some really good plays in the kicking game, and then we lost the the contain on the one kickoff return uh, there, which is probably the you know the play of the night. That you know if we had to take any of them back in, in the kicking game, that would be the one. But I thought we did a good job in the first half. We were kind of winning the field position battle um, as it went, and then you know gave up the one return there in the second half. But I think you know that's what these games are for. You know you have to get them in these games because you really can't simulate that kind of contact, that kind of space, and that kind of speed in practice. And I, Mo, I agree with uh, McDaniels there at the end. That's what these games are for. That's where you use them for. Uh, but in re-watching the game, I think he, he's kind of underplaying a little bit of the struggles they had. Yes, they had the one long kickoff return, uh, but containment throughout the night, even though – uh, Daniel Carlson uh, kicked the ball well, except for the one miss. And then A.J. Cole, who's just booming the heck out of the ball, of course, inside at Allegiant Stadium, a great place to do that, was just watching again. Number one, you talked about it earlier with defensive backs, and you saw it on special teams, was wrapping up. There was some trouble wrapping up. And then on containment, there were there were some runs. They weren't particularly really long, but there was missed tackles, guys in position, guys um, um, being juked out there, and really just not in that that normal balanced place you want to see them in to make a tackle and to to keep the field position where they want it. Uh, what did you see in rewatching the game when it came to special teams and those issues? Yeah, two things on special teams, and you just kind of touched on it: lane integrity and tackling. Yeah, those are the two things you cannot you cannot compromise on if you want a good uh, kickoff coverage team, and that's where the Raiders faltered a bit. Uh, he did touch on, he did say, you really can't simulate those things at practice because you don't want to have collisions because, as we all know, with kickoffs, that's where you have the biggest collisions. And that's why the NFL has kind of tried to limit it with the ruling. Uh, he And Josh McDaniels and the coach staff doesn't want to do that at practice because they don't want to get guys hurt. But that's not an excuse once you get on the field. I, they have to get it together. But I mentioned this on Sunday. When you go from Rich Basaccia to Tom McMahon, it's probably going to be a little bit of a drop-off because Rich Basaccia is regarded as one of the best special teams coaches 
in the league. So you hope mm-hmm. the Reds can get it together, get their lane integrity together, and get their tackling together before the regular season starts. Yeah, and it's it is, and, and he touched on it there in his comments at the post game press conference, which is it's about field position, right? And so you need to be able to do that, especially if you look at this team not knowing yet what the defense is going to look like, what the strengths, weaknesses will be. They're going to need everything they can out of that special teams unit because when they do need to take a, a team and put them back in their own uh, end, they got to do the best job that they can. They got to contain that, especially with that early schedule and what they're going to be facing. So so a lot of people kind of sloughing it off is no big deal, and it's not a big deal yet. It's a practice game, but at the same time, I think we need to watch that. They need to make improvements. It's always three areas of the game, right? And they need to make improvements. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they get down to Miami, uh, I want to see that and, and make sure that they don't let those off, and that lane integrity gets better and plays are made and tackles are wrapped up. Uh, so we'll have to see. Um, jumping around, Mo, wide receivers. DJ Turner had a nice game. People are now in love with him, as they were with Zemir White in the first game in Canton. Talk about his chances to make the team now and and why um, why or why not he's got a good shot at it. I thought he was one of the stars of the game, and not just because mm-hmm. of his touchdown reception. It's because what I like in him is the same reason I like T. Billy Teron Johnson making rosters because he provides that speed that the Raiders wide receiver core lacks. Uh, and you saw it on that touchdown reception. He turned on the afterburners on defenders. It, w- it was a decent throw, but it was him doing a lot of the work after the catch that got him the score. And he also contributed on special teams. I believe he had a 26-yard return. And as you know, your your fifth and sixth wide receivers need to be able to contribute on special teams. And the fact that he can make a big play in the passing offense and contribute to special teams bodes well for his chances to make the 50-man roster. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I think uh, that whole unit, of course, Nelson Aguilar got released on Monday uh, or was pending release. And, of course, Raider fans are, go sign him, go sign him. We need that down the field thread. I'm like, we got some young guys there already. I don't, I don't understand why – People jump. People want to jump back to a familiar face, and I understand it. Um, but without injury, I think this wide receiver group is competing, competing well. And I think this is a good point. Competition breeds better performance, and I think overall we're seeing that as well uh, from this unit. And we're seeing guys when they get their opportunities. For the most part, they're coming through pretty well. Yeah, and I think that wide receiver competition with the Raiders is going to be tough. Uh, yes. Demarcus Robinson, as I mentioned, DJ Turner, uh, Keelan Cole, uh, a lot of those got Mac Hollins. They all had receptions of at least 15 yards. So mm-hmm. I think all those guys have gained, have gained some trust within uh, that coaching staff that, Hey, if Devonte Adams doesn't make a big play, if Hunter Renfro doesn't make a big play, one of us can do it. And, and they're going to have a lot of one-on-one matchups. So if they can win their, their, their assignments and their one-on-one matchups, they can get the football. And I think, again, they're going to rotate those guys in that wide receiver with, receive with three spots. It's not just going to be Mac Hollins or not just right. going to be Robinson or Keelan Cole or Turner if he makes the roster. I think you're going to see a rotation of guys there. And any one of those guys can make a big play, as you just saw on Sunday. And we said that on this show going back a couple of weeks, didn't we? We said, listen, you're that's going to go down to the very last cut and the very last game until you find out who's going to kind of emerge. And, and then even... Going into the season, two or three weeks, you'll see, to your point, a rotation. And you might see a rotation for longer than that because they have it. Now, Mo, that's going to be a tough decision, and it's a good tough decision, which is are you going to keep more 
wide receivers? Are you going to keep more running backs? Because they have two rooms right now that are surprisingly full of players who are all performing when they get the opportunity. Yeah, I think it's going to come down to who can we stash on the practice squad because <laughs> you can keep veterans on the practice squad now. Who can we stash on the practice squad and they'll still be there and teams won't poach them away from us. So it's going to be tough. I, I think the Rays going to keep six wide receivers and I think four running backs plus the fullback, Jacob Johnson. Uh, someone sent a tweet at me on Monday saying that the Patriots kept six backs. I didn't look into it, but I will say this, that there's a possibility that they keep three quarterbacks. If they keep three quarterbacks, they're not going to keep six backs. Right. But also also depends on the defense. Like how many players are going to keep at, in, in the cornerback room? How many linebackers? How many defensive linemen? What does Patrick Graham want in his rotation? All of that has to come together before you can just say, okay, we're going to keep this number of players at disposition. Yeah, and and the other issue there as well is the special teams piece of this, right? Because some, I mean, they all play, all those guys play special teams, but who's doing both really, really well? And that might end up you might choose a running back over wide receiver based on that issue because of uh, their ability to do that. Not, and I'm not talking about returning kicks, but on coverage, right? We see a lot of guys who play running back who play great uh, on coverage teams for special teams in the NFL. So that might be uh, another factor, I would think. We'll have to see. But, of course, we're going to get uh, further into cut season, if you will, and we'll see how this roster changes. We'll also wait with bated breath to see if the Raiders do anything this week. Between now and our Thursday show, certainly we'll talk about that, Mo, as it comes up. But tomorrow, my friend, we're going to take mail from our viewers and listeners and answer those questions. It's going to be fun. Absolutely fun. Someone's going to win a T-shirt, and it ho- maybe there's a food question in there. That oh, we can maybe a food about. question. And that was, and that and that was, of course, fun to have. Uh, just to, just a roundabout of things to talk about. So a- absolutely, absolutely, Mo. All right, buddy. We'll see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, and we'll we'll talk about more <laughs> dolphins as it goes on. We will. We'll get uh, get into a little bit of the dolphins. They got some drama going down there with Tua. Uh, and uh, we'll have to tap in, maybe get get some messages to our friend Jeremy down there, Jeremy Klump, and try to get <laughs> and try to get some of what's going on. He mixes it up with his his readers really well. I love that stuff. Uh, but Mo, thanks again. All right, we're gonna end today's show on this Tuesday. We hope you're off to a great start this week, Raider Nation. Uh, we're a day closer to football, which is a good thing. We're also again going to have our mailbag. Uh, show tomorrow so make sure you uh, listen to that and that'll be available for you first thing in the morning like this one was do us a favor subscribe on your favorite platform subscribe on youtube and we appreciate all of your support and uh, just continue to love interacting with all of you out there here on silver and black today for mo moten i am scott Branson. take care of one another out there and we'll talk to you tomorrow